Good afternoon and welcome to an IT Executive's Guide to Reducing Physician Burnout, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Improvada. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We do have some fun interactive features that we're going to use today. One is our Agree or Over the Top poll. Uh, questions or comments, we certainly encourage uh, for everyone to send in. We'll take those later in the program. And you can use the Q&A box. And we've got the URL for the slide deck that you can download if you choose. Just so you see how we are going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 minutes with our panel discussion featuring Dr. Tanya Hongsermeyer, VP and CMIO at Leahy Health, Dr. Stephanie Lahr, CIO and CMIO at Monument Health, and Dr. Sean Kelly, Chief Medical Officer with Improvada. And then we will have our Q&A, which I'm definitely looking forward to based on our topic. I think we're going to have some good questions. So... Without any further delay, I want to start our Q&A right now. So, Tanya, can we start with you? Please give me an overview of your organization and your role. Sure. Um, well, Leahy Health is, a sub is now part of what's called Beth Israel Leahy Health, um, uh, but Legacy Leahy Health, where I've served as a CMIO for now seven years, um, consists of six hospitals and uh, 2,000 plus practicing clinicians um, with a lot of ambulatory, probably I think 300 and some odd uh, ambulatory department locations. And um, I've uh, been part of a, a great IT team here and we are now um, part of a merger and, and we have a growing IT footprint. Um, and we've been on EPIC since 2015. Um, and I also sit on the Mass Hospital Association uh, Mass Medical Society Physician Burnout Task Force. All right, excellent, Tanya. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, good morning, or I guess maybe afternoon where you are. Um, my name is Stephanie Lar. I am the CIO and CMIO for Monument Health. We are uh, just in the midst, actually, of a rebrand. So we were formerly Regional Health. We are the um, primary um, tertiary care provider for all of Western South Dakota and a little bit of Eastern Wyoming and Northern Nebraska. So we are a five hospital system um, providing care in mostly rural environments and um, have about 25 clinic locations, do most areas of care basically with the exception of um, advanced pediatrics and transplant surgery. Very good, Sean. Hi, thanks, Anthony. Uh, my name is Sean Kelly, and I'm the Chief Medical Officer at Improvada. We are a digital healthcare identity company, and I've been at the company a little over eight years now. I often interact with clinical leadership around the country, so people like Tanya and Stephanie, CIOs and CMIOs and other executives and end users um, around the country and indeed many parts of the world to help bridge the gap between IT and technology on the one hand and the world of healthcare on the other, and really try to ease things like burnout and balance both security and usability. In fact, try to give more usability, convenience, and efficiency while actually increasing security. And so that's what we as a company do. 
Um, I also happen to be an emergency physician at Beth Israel Deaconess, who have merged now with uh, Leahy, with Tanya. So I uh, have a long background of um, wearing that hat and actually being an end user um, of a lot of different types of technology. And so we'll kind of put both hats on and off during today's discussion. Very good. All right. Next question. Let's start with a definition, get a baseline definition of we're, of what we're talking about here. Uh, Stephanie, I want to start with you. How would you define physician burnout as it relates to the EMR? So <clears throat> I am glad that you're clarifying as it relates to the EMR because certainly physician burnout is a broad topic and has a lot of um, elements that both contribute and can be um, things that can be done to improve it, That some of which are within the realm of technology and some of which are not. As it relates to the EMR, I think, or maybe even more broadly, as it relates to technology, I think physician burnout is um, the um, disillusion and dissatisfaction um, of physicians and really any uh, clinical caregiver in their ability to um, practice medicine and deliver care because of obstacles and um, other impediments that are interfering with their relationship with the patient and not adding value to that relationship, um, causing frustration and uh, discontent. Very good, Sean. Um, first of all, I think I have a bone to pick with you, Anthony. Um, oh, in this boy. question, you know, we're going to start this off, right? Um, so in the question, we talk <laughs> about burnout related to the EMR. And unfortunately, I think one of the reasons a lot of us are burnt out is the EMR has become synonymous with IT or, or using digital tools to help deliver care. Um, and in many ways, we, part of the reason that a lot of us feel burnt out is because we feel like we're being used by the EMR uh, for billing and compliance reasons. And a lot of times that's how the tools we are using are optimized. Um, and we're becoming almost, you know, uh, slave to that rather than the other way around uh, for physicians and nurses and other caregivers to actually be able to use technology that they like and want to use to help deliver care. And so I think I just want to clarify, I would like to answer the question with regard to the EMR, but really all of uh, digital tools and IT in healthcare, because I, I think that a lot of doctors, nurses, and other caregivers actually like, they actually like technology. We use technology in our consumer lives, our private lives. We just like good technology. And so mm -hmm. we want to work with our hospital systems to, to have technology work for us rather than against us. And when it works against us, we get burnt out because the job is hard enough as it is due to all the factors not related to the EMR, you know, overcrowding, uh, you know, seeing more patients, lack of the ability to, to, to bill as much, um, you know, just a lot of the other, the, the breakdown of social constructs and systems and social determinants around healthcare. So there's a number of factors, but the bottom line to me is we want IT to work with us and not against us. Very good, very good. Tanya? Well, just to kind of build up on what um, Stephanie and Sean have said, I, I, I mean, I often say that our clinicians are basically being, um, are, are in, in caught in the middle of an arms race between payers and health and providers, the, the health systems, and that arms race of regulation and reimbursement requirements and the like, they are drowning in data management activities. Uh, they spend, you know, I like to say they spend more time curating the data than cu curing our patients, and it's, it's painful for them. 
So, um, and I agree that um, the EHR is, it becomes like the frontline receptacle of all of that administrative overhead, um, but at the same time, um, the EHR itself, the, the, the maturation of the vendor community and the tools and how we use them, um, I, I think we're early in uh, the development of EHRs that are usable, and we're early in the market forces that would help us uh, make them usable, you know, to leverage uh, more advanced technologies. Very good. Thank you for that. Okay. Um, priorities. This is a CMIO question or a CIO question. Uh, Stephanie's both. Where Where is this on uh, the list of your priorities? Um, let me start with you, Sean. No, very high. Um, I think that, you know, we see users kind of at their wit's end, and these are some of the, the most talented, high-priced, high-yield uh, workers out there. Um, and it, and it, this goes for not just doctors, but particularly nurses and then other caregivers. And, you know, in many ways, nurses make the world go round for patient care. And we see um, a lot of burnout. And I really do think it affects patient care strongly. Uh, if you can't keep your people happy and let them do their work, patient care, the quality of care suffers, efficiency suffers, um, productivity suffers, but more importantly, care suffers. Uh, so don't make no mistake, there's a lot of human impact. Um, we can go into a discussion around the finances behind it. You know, having um, providers burn out, the emotional and financial impact is huge. And then replacing workers, um, that's not easy. Replacing one physician can be, you know, uh, many hundreds of thousands of dollars problem. Um, and so, you know, for, for multiple reasons, it's extremely high priority for just about every hospital that we work with. Um, and and it re it's reflecting on patient care, it's financial, and it's a number of factors. So, Tanya, to you, and I guess if it isn't, if somebody were to answer this question that it isn't a big priority, that would be troubling to you if they were in a position of authority. Absolutely. I mean, for us, it's top of mind every day um, in our IT department, and it's it's become top of mind for our clinical and operational leaders as well. And, um, you know, I was sponsored to participate on the state burnout task force exactly because it is such a high priority. Uh, we think it is a national crisis, um, and we, um, you know, we basically uh, take the well-being of our caregivers very seriously and um, and use that. That that's a, gui a guiding principle uh, is making sure that the decisions we make and the investments we make are driven by a focus on improving our caregiver wellness. Very interesting. Stephanie? I mean, I think those are all great answers. I don't, I don't have a lot to add. I certainly would not disagree that it is um, an utmost priority. And I mean, really, it actually just kind of is the fabric of what we should be thinking about as particularly clinician leaders um, in the realm of technology. The reason to have clinician leaders in CMIO and CIO and other kinds of roles or working within the vendor community is so that we really can have a strong focus on ensuring that the tools that we're bringing to bear are not contributing to physician burnout um, or other clinician burnout or passing the buck down the line from physician to nurse, et cetera. Um, but rather improving improving the experience. Very good, very good. All right, um, I had a question about uh, is this a crisis, but I think we can all agree that it is. So 
we are going to uh, uh, skip that one, and we're going to go to uh, a question just for Sean with his unique um, positions, the unique hats he holds. So, um, Sean, every study um, about the EHR is identifying it as a lead contributor to burnout. Um, you're, you, you're a user, and you're also uh, with the vendor that helps to alleviate this. So I think um, what we're asking you here is, are you seeing improvement on the user side? Um, are you able to affect uh, customer satisfaction improvement on the provider side? Um, so what are your, just, your thoughts there about how things are evolving? Um, yes, fortunately they are evolving. I think there, there's a lot of good technology that's becoming more available. Um, you know, I can obviously speak directly for what we try to do every day of our um, business life, which is really speed access to systems, allow doctors and nurses to actually focus on the patient and patient care and think less about uh, both the time and the cognitive disruption of trying to log in to systems, you know, allow for single sign-on, allow for electronic prescribing, unified communications, patient identification. The whole idea is, you know, facilitate and bury that technology, make it invisible, and just allow doctors and nurses to do their jobs. And, you know, I think when you talk to most front-end workers, frontline workers in healthcare, they just want to focus on the patient. And a lot of the devil's in the details. And so, you know, for us, I know a lot of the time that I spend is walking around the floors with people like Tanya and Stephanie at our and their hospitals and, and, and healthcare environments to, to really say, how does a user want to operate here? When they log into the EMR, where do you want to put that computer so they can actually look at the patient? And, and can you automate things in the background so that you don't have to wait 45 seconds for some system to boot up? And when you're on that system, you know, a lot of people recognize that you can save time or save clicks. I think what it's hard for non-healthcare providers to understand is, yes, it's about the time. Definitely. They're, you know, if you can save someone 45 minutes a day because of whatever password issue, et cetera, et cetera, of course that's important. But even more important is don't interrupt the thought process of a doctor or a nurse or others when they're caring for a patient. So you would not believe how many interruptions as an ER doctor I already have. And Stephanie and Tanya will tell you this too in their own professional lives. I'm already on five or six interruptions just with legitimate patient care issues. And so while I'm calculating the thrombolytic dose for the stroke patient in front of me while another family member is interrupting me and a nurse is putting an EKG in front of me, don't stop me and make me remember a password or mm -hmm. lock me out of my system because you just interrupted all of my thought process and now I, I, my brain is scrambled and as I deal with this IT issue to the side or this billing issue or whatever it is that IT is, is you know, hurting me instead of helping me with, you just broke my thought process. I forget the, 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 the maturations of, you know, oh my gosh, um, they have renal failure, I have to dose this differently. So that's, that's like a, a glimpse into what we all understand is it's like, it's, it's let us do our jobs. And yes, technology is now maturing. There are a lot of good options out there. We as vendors and clinicians are working together to, to affect change. Excellent, excellent. All right. Um... I think uh, this one is very interesting to me. Um, and let's start with you on this, Stephanie. So we, we do a policy update um, every quarter with um, Dr. John Halamka, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. He's uh, nation nationally known, but certainly in the, in the New England area. Um, 
99% or not nine, maybe 90, I think I overstated it, but a lot of the information in that policy update was about how the government is trying to reduce the administrative burden on clinicians uh, and doctors. So it's, it's, you could see burnout written all over what's coming out, reducing burnout, reducing burnout. Um, your thoughts on, on, on what the government is trying to do? Uh, do you think it will be effective? Do you think it will help? Has it gone far enough? So Stephanie, let's start with you. So, I mean, this is a bit of a loaded question, of course, but I think, you know, the reality is we got to start somewhere. So I'm glad it has their attention. I'm glad we're talking about it. Uh, I think it's, I don't think it's too far out there to say when the government has to get involved in order to tell us what we actually probably already know in our own special um, areas of focus for us, that's for that, that's medicine but because we can't pull it together ourselves for a myriad of reasons, when they have to get involved, the reality is it's not going to be executed well or perfectly on the first iteration, but it gets us a start. And again, I think it gets everybody on the same page that you cannot sit back and wait for somebody else to solve this. You cannot sit back and say, oh, this probably I'll be in denial. This probably isn't a problem. It at least puts everybody's focus in the right direction. To be perfectly honest, and we've alluded to this a little bit already, what really, really needs to happen in order for the EMR not to be a tool that we, and other technologies that we use against people, but use them with and for people, is a complete overhaul of our payment system. E&M coding, et cetera, is completely antiquated. Um, even within the medical education system, the way we continue to train physicians and, and other clinicians to do their documentation and what should be there is antiquated based on things that are, you know, things we needed to do 50 years ago because the information wasn't all in one place. We took those elements and then we built them into how we're going to pay for the care. And that's why you see that our notes are five to 10 times longer than in other countries. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a litigious element of that, but I really think most of it comes down to billing and coding. That's somewhat easy to see when you look at the documentation between somebody like an internist like myself, who the only way I have to prove the worthiness of what I've done is to document it to an extreme in some cases versus a surgeon who is compensated and given credit because of the procedures they do. Their documentation tends to be shorter, mm-hmm. um, but even still we found ways to put layers of bureaucracy on top of that. Our payers are looking for any opportunity not to pay us. And the <laughs> best way to do that is, I'm sorry, you accidentally said right, and then you said left, yep. that we're just not gonna be able to pay you for that surgery because clearly it wasn't the right and the left. Okay, so really what is the fundamental problem there? The fundamental problem is the surgery probably went perfectly well and was on the correct side, whichever that one was, the majority of the time. The problem is that we're now using the the documentation against people. So I I think, again, the attention to it, saying that we're going to start backing off on it is good. The first iterations of this, I don't think are going to get us super far, um, but it's better than nothing. Excellent, excellent answer. Uh, Tanya? 
Well, I think Stephanie very eloquently illustrated this arms race that our payers and our clinicians are are involved in. Um, and, uh, and, and I agree that I think it's the right start, but it's going to take a while for these, this philosophy to really take hold in how we're reimbursed and how the technology evolves. And so um, we have to spend, we still have to not take our eye off the ball of hoping there's going to be a magic bullet. I think, you know, what Sean described about making sure that we don't put unnecessary tasks on top of clinicians by streamlining the way they engage that technology, but also we have to really think about workforce composition and the work that still has to get done in order for healthcare systems to be reimbursed appropriately for the services we provide. And that means spending a lot of time thinking about how we unburden clinicians of the tasks that still have to get done. I mean, we've got coders and clinical documentation improvement people um, nagging them <laughs> continuously, um, whether they do it over the phone or via um, notifications in messaging systems and the like. Um, the clinician and uh, the clinicians feel a lot of pressure to create these long notes, and the the worst part is that by creating all these long notes, the charts become uh, poorly usable because it takes you they they have to spend so much time spelunking in the chart to figure out what the patient narrative really is. So um, we're we're still in this kind of vicious cycle, and it's going to take a while for this philosophy and this new disposition that is being um, proposed by the ONC to really take hold. And I think um, folks like Sean and Stephanie and I have to still spend a lot of time thinking about what we can do now with making sure the workforce composition, the support staff, the teamwork, the tools that we have available today um, maximally unburden the clinician of the time they have to spend dealing with the, this arms race. Yeah, think, think about yeah, just think about what we do to clinicians on a daily basis. So, you know, I might see 35 patients in a shift. For every one of those patients, let's say I see a congestive heart failure patient short of breath in one of the rooms or in a hallway because we're overcrowded. I'll walk in there with a nurse and a and a and a, maybe a med student and and a couple of techs and family members and I'll I'll start doing a history and physical. We'll have a dialogue while we're discussing that. I may decide that oh you know potentially this is um, emphysema or it's congestive heart failure. I'll talk about this differential with the patient. I'll discuss that we're going to do some blood work and a urine test and a chest X-ray and an EKG. This is why this is what we're going to do. Do you have any medical history? I'm going to go through all the elements of what I'm about to chart. And then I'm going to walk out of the room and I'm going to go chart all of those things I just talked about again in a way that's really optimized, as Tanya and Stephanie said, for billing and payers in very defensive ways so that they don't, you know, not pay us for what we're doing. And then I'm going to go order all the things I just documented on that I talked about doing with the patient. <laughs> it's incredibly maddening. Did we go to medical school or nursing school to become scribes and data entry clerks? It's very frustrating. And I don't think any of us actually mind working hard. We actually love to work our asses off. Like when we walk home, we felt like we, we delivered really good patient care and a lot of it was actually, I don't know, patient care. Then we actually, we don't mind being tired because you did some good for patients and society. You did well and you did good. 
But if you just spent 85% of your time documenting and ordering things, that's not satisfying. And guess what? It keeps you from seeing another patient or actually providing better care to that same patient. And so if you flip the script and you work with a bunch of other really cool vendors and you actually do natural language processing and use artificial intelligence behind it and you start, maybe you can pick off elements of that conversation and this is starting to happen, right? We think, okay, while I'm talking in that room, capture that, put it in the chart, populate it for me, let me review it and actually maybe start populating orders. And, you know, don't make me be a clerk. Let me be a doctor and actually I might enjoy my job more. And I think, but I think just to add to what Sean is saying, one of the other dangers of where we are right now is that our clinicians are so frustrated with all of the tasks that they need to, we'll say, just interact with technology on, whether that's manual entry or otherwise, there's almost a pushback of, I don't want to do any of it anymore. And so you actually have clinicians who, I mean, back when we were on paper, I, I'm old enough to remember those days. I, I never thought to myself, I'm going to write an order for a, a potentially dangerous medication that has to be administered in a certain way, and someone else is going to execute on that. I need to be clear with them what it is I want and how it should be done so that the patient remains as safe as possible. I never complained that I was writing out in longhand what the amiodarone drip should be and how it should be run so that the nurse and the pharmacist had all of the relevant information in order to be able to do that safely. What I see now is that physicians are so frustrated with all of the different things they do, they kind of want to abdicate all of it. Mm. I don't even want to put, I don't even want to tell you the orders anymore. I don't want to do the documentation. I don't want to do any of it anymore. And it's not because they're, you know, to Sean's point about working hard, it's not because they're lazy. It's not because they're difficult. It's because they're so overwhelmed and frustrated by everything we're putting in front of them. It's kind of the baby out with the bathwater and the good elements of the things that they really do need to do. We really want to use technology to make it as safe as possible to deliver medications, to get the right study done, to get the right information from place to place. We absolutely have to have technology in order to maintain and harness all of the information we have available to us right now because it's growing so exponentially. It's just we're doing it in super old school ways without thinking about how to really reinvent. Those reinvention concepts are just starting to come into fruition in some of the things that, you know, Sean was mentioning with natural language processing and being able to sort of leverage the conversation, for example, that somebody's having with the patient or leverage the fact, you know, to some of the other things that, that, um, that Improbata can do in other companies. I'm, if I'm physically in the room and you know that because of a badge that I'm carrying or something like that, Again, we can eliminate me needing to put in passwords. We could eliminate um, me needing to log into things. You might be able to pull a screen up and show information that's relevant to me based on things we already know. That's the really exciting stuff. It's going to take a little while for us to get there. And so to Tanya's point, we have to be thinking about what are the little things we can do every day right now without spending a lot of money and completely throwing out all the systems we have and bringing in new ones but that let our clinicians know, we hear you, we understand, to an extent, be patient, and we're going to do what we can little by little right now, today, and again tomorrow, and again the next day, until the big thing comes along. 
Very good. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Let's get um, to sort of the advice kind of question, uh, stuff people can use, as it were. Uh, and uh, Tanya, I want to start with you. Uh, what are some of those little things you're doing in your organization um, to make, to make to, you know, to alleviate this issue? Well, one is um, we have a very strong governance um, with a lot of clinician participation um, in how we make decisions about configuration of the EHR as well as how we collaborate across operations and the like to look for opportunities for support staff um, to unburden the clinicians. Um, so, and then finally the training. So we make a huge, uh, uh, make huge investments in training and outreach. We mine our data. We're constantly soliciting for feedback, but we also look at how our systems are being used, not just by the physician, but also by the support staff and the operational managers, by access and the like, um, and look for opportunities to not only unburden the clinicians, but also for where things might not be utilized optimally by the support staff in a way that can unburden the clinician. Um, a lot, uh, the, the support staff can do a lot to deal both with the visit-centered activities or the procedure, you know, the inpatient activities in terms of uh, data entry, teeing up uh, d data and the like, um, how we room the patients, um, how we discharge patients from visits, and even in documentation in the room when we have scribes. Um, we're looking at, we've got already made investments in scribes, but we're looking um, at tools uh, that, you know, are coming down the pipe from some of the vendors to, um, you know, the, the, the term is ambient clinical intelligence, but experimenting with tools like that so that clinicians spend less time in, in, with the screen and more with the patient. Um, we also um, are making a, a, making a lot, of, uh, performing a lot of outreach. We work, um, we host uh, sessions with departments or specialty areas. We call them pearl and pitfall sessions so that um, clinicians can learn from each other because we actually do have clinicians who like getting their work done in um, our environment. Um, we have a lot of clinicians who um, do well with our technology and they have good support from their support staff and the way, um, what we're trying to do is elevate those uh, examples to see if other departments and other clinicians can learn from each other, um, perhaps in the same specialty or, or create cross-specialty po uh, pollinization. Um, we want to make um, positive adoption stories uh, viral across the system the best we can um, as we um, also still recognize and tackle um, where we think uh, some of the clinicians are struggling. Um, some clinicians struggle um, because they have work habits that when we were on paper, they were the ones with the chart stack in their office, um, and they bring those habits to the EHR, and it results in a similar outcome. So it takes a lot of um, uh, engagement, a lot of work we do uh, studying the work habits and uh, the, uh, the, the usability behavior of our clinicians and our support staff, a lot of training outreach, a lot of engagement with operations, um, and also continuously looking for ways in which we can implement tools and, and, and make configuration adjustments in our platform um, to improve the quality of life for the, these care teams. So it's, it's, it's a multi-pronged strategy that we deploy um, at all levels of 
the, uh, with all the tools we have in our toolkit. Um, I often say that it's like the, the collaboration of leadership, operations, training, and our analysts and configuration teams working together um, at, to continuously make improvements um, collaboratively in how we use the technology, how we deploy it, how we train it. Those are the things that we have to do in the short term to make, make uh, the EHR um, helpful um, to the care process. Very good, Sean. Um, what are you What are you working on uh, over at Improvada? Like, where are you focusing your energy, your thoughts? Um, what do you want to do to some of the tools or invent to, new tools? Where do you want to focus your time and energies? I know you're, you know, you want to help alleviate the problem, so you want to make sure things are moving in the right direction as a vendor. So, where's your focus? Yeah, um, exactly as Tanya described. For us, it starts. It all starts with clinical workflows. What are the desired workflows? What are clinicians and administrators actually trying to do? And how can you make it easier for them to do so? And I know that sounds simple, but generally that means they're trying to access online systems somewhere, either the EMR or other apps. So you have to give them access. So single sign-on and quick access. A lot of times that can involve biometrics or a prox card. Essentially, not just that single sign-on password management problem, but actually running all the systems hot in the background, not closing them out and taking on the tax of restarting them. It doesn't sound sexy and it, and it sounds sort of simple, but actually it's quite complex to make that technology as invisible as possible. So the first thing is just let people log on and do their jobs without focusing on that process. So that, that's the foundation of a lot of what uh, vendors like us do. Um, but beyond that, you, you, it used to be, and, and Tanya or Stephanie said this, it used to be a pretty simple equation. I charted on paper, I worked within the four walls of the hospital, and then I went home, and you know maybe I had to call in to do some things every now and then, but there were kind of four walls in a hospital. Obviously, it's not like that. It's a, it's a, the continuum of care really is a borderless environment. We are all trying to access our digital uh, workspaces you know, in mobile devices, on, on different platforms, in different ways, virtual desktops. So, you know, at Improvada, we try to enable all of those different endpoints for all those users in many different ways. And that means extending the same value prop that we're used to on shared clinical workstations with fast user switching or, you know, in my own private office, extending that to mobile devices, however a doctor or nurse wants to get on, whether it's a shared mobile device or their own device, doing virtual desktop and virtual infrastructures for roaming desktops. It's a fancy way of saying I can log on and get to a chart or whatever I need to, whenever I need to, whenever, however I need to. Even medical devices, you know, so many things that used to be mechanical really are software driven now. Infusion pumps and vital sign monitors, same issue. You need to log on to do your job. You need to have security. If you think a nurse likes to put um, you know, his or her password in on that little keyboard every time they want to change the insulin pump dose, but you better have security on there because if you double or triple that dose, that can kill a patient. So you need to balance those things properly and make the interface really usable. So Stephanie mentioned proximity awareness and, and, and unleashing the power of, of things like low energy Bluetooth. So you can automate workflows. And again, it gets back to exactly what Tanya said. Rather than pushing technology on doctors and nurses and hospital systems, it starts with, hey, every time my surgeon walks in the room, you know, we want to back off on the security setting and keep that session open because they're in a sterile environment. They've got gloved hands. 
and they just want to do their work and be able to look up at the screen, you know, while they're looking at the cath lab, you know, um, cardiac or electrocardiogram, whatever. Let them do their job. And so if you can use proximity awareness and low energy Bluetooth, you can keep all those systems open. It's, it's very, you know, it's simple when you just start with what are you actually just trying to do? How do you want to do your mm-hmm. job? And then you can layer in those technologies behind it. And what good vendors will do will work with other vendors to actually say, how do you want us all to work together to provide that seamless environment for you? Sorry, it's a long answer to a simple question. There's a ton of exciting stuff in the works with a lot of major strategic vendors, and we're all working together to try to simplify that equation. Excellent. Very good. Stephanie, you want to talk about a few of the things you're doing on the ground in your health system? Yeah, I mean, I love everything that both Tanya and Sean said, you know, governance, um, clinician involvement, um, you know, physician to physician or clinician to clinician training. Those are things that I think we all can be improving and working on. It also makes me think about, you know, the collaboration. There are probably a handful of things that you can do differently, but do well. And so connecting with other organizations, Tanya and I having a conversation about what's working for her organization that then I can borrow and don't have to reinvent. We all need to be out there collaborating, looking to see what others are doing um, and, and not trying to just start from ground zero. Internally, one of the benefits of me being both the CIO and the CMIO is that the technology teams all report to me. And so we are able, what I find with um, end users at times, whether physicians or otherwise, they've become tolerant to terrible workflows, um, things that they don't even know how bad they are, nor (laughs) that we probably have an opportunity to improve them. Or they come to us with a solution to a problem that is completely ridiculous, completely undoable. But my teams know the technology well enough to actually be able to say, okay, what I hear is this is the problem. I think I know something we could do to fix this. So sometimes that comes to us. What I'm also working really hard on right now is getting my teams, not just my analysts, not just my informaticists, getting my network engineers, getting my database administrators, getting those teams out into our clinical environments so that they can see firsthand what people are doing and or not able to do or how difficult it is because sometimes the end user doesn't even know that it's broken or frustrating or could be um, improved. That is, that is the knowledge that my teams have and I wanna build their passion around getting out there, seeing what's going on and then being able to proactively say, hey, I think we could make that better for you instead of having somebody come to us with an idea that may, that we end up having to say, quote unquote, no to, not because it's a bad problem to solve, but because it's just not the right way to solve it. So rounding and getting the teams out there instead of waiting um, for them to come to us and also not stopping with just what you would typically think of as your training informatics and other analyst clinical teams, but really getting the technologists Um, out there to do some of that work. And then finally, what I would say is, you know, we're all becoming very data-driven. You need to measure this. Um, The ARCH Collaborative is a great thing to participate in. There are other ways to do it if you you don't want to participate in something like that. Although I will share that I, I think there is value because they have been able to aggregate 
so much data from so many different organizations now, it doesn't give you a, um, a silver bullet for what you need to go in and do, but it gives you areas of focus. And sometimes what we think are the problems or we think are the challenges are not really the problems and challenges that our end users are most frustrated by. And so participating and measuring something like the use of the Arch Collaborative allows us to understand what the end users really as a group are experiencing, gives us some tools to potentially go in and make things different, not necessarily technology tools. Some of them are, are just you know, clinical workflow, observational improvements, things like that. And then we can go back and measure again and see if we've made any improvements. They have, you know, there are scorings within the collaborative that even assess what is your, you know, risk of burnout. That will help you understand within your own organization, are you in a crisis already and you better drop everything else and get this figured out? Are you maybe not in a crisis yet, which is fantastic, but gives you an opportunity then to really say, great, I've got engaged people who, relatively speaking, are happy with the system. Let's build on that but it helps you figure out where to put that energy. And like I say, brings resources to bear to figure out, okay, well, I have a problem with this. Where do I go? Who should I be collaborating with? Tanya's doing this really well. I'm going to go call her. Excellent. Very good. All right. Well, we have an audience question I want to get to. Um, so let me put that out there. Would all the panelists agree that embracing innovation is part of the solution to EHR related burnout is leadership and I guess this would vary depending on the organization, but in general, is leadership willing to invest the money, time, and resources to address this? Tanya, let's start with you. Um, I mean, obviously being innovative is key. Um, some of the innovation is technical, but some of that innovation is organizational in terms of culture and beliefs. I think what Stephanie said was so great because it's often the case that um, you, you realize that whole departments can have normalized a really suboptimal way of operating and a, a suboptimal way of using the technology and the outreach that we all have to do in order to uncover how our systems are being used, really observe it and have all levels of our team feel connected to our caregivers and our operational teams and be mindful and aware, visit and really see how our systems are being used is, is key. So um, I think that um, the innovation is not just technical innovation, it's cultural innovation, it's workflow innovation. All of those innovations need to be uh, leveraged to, um, to continuously drive improvements um, in how the well-being of our caregivers. Sean? Oh, I'm sorry. No, Stephanie, go ahead. I'll go to Sean after you. Go ahead. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to jump because I completely agree with Tanya that I think sometimes we have a tendency to think of innovation in this grand sort of, it's, it's a building, it's some people with a title, it's really expensive, um, you know, only the big organizations can do it. And that actually stifles us from making any progress because it's like, whoa, innovation is giant. If I, I, I certainly am not personally capable of taking on innovation. So I really have been working hard with, with my teams and sharing information. I, I mean, my definition for innovation is simply the use of creativity and ingenuity to solve the problems that are before us right now. 
Creativity and ingenuity are not expensive. There may be technology that comes into that. There may not be. Um, you have to have an investment from the perspective of giving some people the, the time to use that creativity and ingenuity to solve problems, but it doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar expense. It doesn't have to be another executive with a title in front of them. You don't need to be solving the problems for the entire world. Help your own internal organization today. And Stephanie, we have, I mean, you, I'm sure you feel the same. We have a lot of innovation capability that we haven't utilized or leveraged yet because the whole organization has to come together about how to take advantage of it. And so that's why, Absolutely. you know, we, we really, I mean, sometimes people are thinking innovation is a shiny object and the real innovation is when the organization is capable of operationalizing the innovations we have right sitting on the shelf. And, and we, I, I spent a lot of time, and certainly in our organization, we spent a lot of time thinking about how to create that cultural competency to really um, uh, digest change, to be self-transformational um, with the tools that we have, because we already have a lot of tools, and at the same time can keep our eye on the ball of the low-hanging fruit and the opportunities out there to take advantage of what's emerging um, as the technology enablers are maturing. Because I think in just in the last couple of years, we're seeing a sea change of, of, of evolution in, with AI and the like that is going to bring a lot of really exciting innovation, um, you know, right to our doorstep. Absolutely. Sean, I... <clears throat> Go ahead, oh, Stephanie. Do you have anything else, sir? No, no, disagreeing completely. Okay. Very good, Sean. I think I'm uh, for time's sake. I think I'm going to give you the last word. So, if you want to respond to the last question and also give any final thoughts. Yeah, um, I agree 100% with both Tanya and Stephanie. And I think that most innovation for those of us that are fans of like the lean process, you got to go to Gemba. A lot of innovation is just enabling your and your frontline workers to actually affect change. And, and most of that, as both Tanya and Stephanie said, um, you know, most of that can be simple. It can be actually cultural and change management rather than technology. And, you know, I like to say if you can't draw out on paper what you're trying to accomplish, you shouldn't try to put technology behind it. And, you know, before you before you reach for AI, how about a little I, right? Like, you know, let's think <laughs> I like through. that. And, you know, just, just putting something on high speed doesn't mean it's going to be better. You really have to think about what you're trying to do. And therefore advice for those of us on the tech side in industry, you, you never try to push solutions on hospital systems or providers. You, you, you ask them and you find out and you work with them, what are the problems they're trying to solve or the value they're trying to create, we are trying to solve or we are trying to create, and then you help them make the internal justification to get tools to do so. And, and a technology tool is a part of an overall process to improve patient care or reduce burnout. And I think what you, you, know, you gather from our discussion here today, it's obviously complex. Some of the, the simplest things are actually the best things to do. Physician and, and other operational and clinical leadership is absolutely essential to bridge the gap between consumer tech and business and healthcare because we live in a strange world. Our work is, is different. Patient, it's patients, not just customers we're dealing with. 
And so you have to be sensitive to the particulars of healthcare. But that said, it's not impossible. In fact, it's happening at an increasing pace every day. I mean, Stephanie and Tanya are doing absolutely amazing things on a daily basis right now. And a lot of things we talked about are not pie in the sky. As Tanya said, they're already happening in pockets or even widespread. But no tech vendor can get into a hospital just saying, you know, oh, we've got this great new tool for you. Everyone has to work together collaboratively and say it and make an internal case to say, here's the hard ROI. Here's the real value. Here's the here's how the patients benefit. Here's how the doctors and nurses benefit. And by reducing burnout, trust me, patient care gets better. We are working together on this. It's an incredibly complex process, but I actually, I'm actually very hopeful because finally places have, have installed EMRs are rolling them out. They're picking their heads up and saying, well, how do we optimize this environment now? And, and, and people like Tanya and Stephanie are stepping up to the plate. We have a lot more physician and nursing leadership that's not gonna put up with bad solutions. And guess what? If a vendor or a hospital IT system's not going to provide it for them, they're bringing it in in their pocket. They're, it's gonna happen one way or another, and it's up to people like all of us to make it happen really well. Excellent. Very good. All right. Well, that's about all we had time for. We could go certainly longer. There were things that I had wanted to get to, but uh, we have to respect everyone's time. So uh, regarding continuing education, those of you who hold the CHIME CHCIO certification program get one CEU for attending our events. So if you um, let CHIME know you were here and if you've asked us to do so, we certainly will. If you need a certificate of attendance for another CEU program, you could use the final slide in this deck, you'll receive an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready. This will be out in uh, an MP4 and also an audio-only format. It'll go out on our iTunes channel. So lots of ways to get the archive. Um, if you'd like to sponsor one of our upcoming events or book a custom event, you can contact Nancy Wilcox from our team. And you can go to our website to register for one of our upcoming webinars. We have quite a few on the registration page. So with that, I want to thank our panel, Dr. Tanya Hongstermeyer, Dr. Stephanie Lahr, and Dr. Sean Kelly. What a great conversation. I hope it was very useful, and I suspect it was to our attendees. Um, and I want to thank Improvata for uh, sponsoring and making the event possible. So with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 